Welcome to episode three of season two of Oots, or Out of the Studio, where we talk to graphic designers about what makes them tick, their favorite colors, and what happens when you wear nothing but rayon to a job interview. Dave Taylor is our guest today, and this is what he has to say for himself. Looking back, it's always been this way. Most everything Dave likes is creative. It's design and doodles. It's the musical note and the words that get wrote. It's cooking and baking and summertime laking. It's a big idea dreaming and giving life meaning. These are the things that make Dave happy. And, and rhyming too, I guess. Dave's actual design career began at Glen Tinley Design and then Fusion in the 90s. The new millennium brought new challenges when Guppy was born and Dave was a proud parent. The current studio, Champion Design, enjoys the success and flexibility that only freelancing can bring. Delivering quality branding to mom-and-pop shops and startups is just as gratifying as bringing it to Champion Design's big clients in Canada and the U.S. alike. When it's not time for design, that means it's time for sports of all sorts and music and bands, family and friends, and fun that never ends. So what did lead you into, uh, into this world of graphic design? Well, it's actually a funny story. Um, I was in a band and, you, you know, typical, I didn't know what graphic design was. I grew up in a small town. I had no clue what graphic design was. Um, but I knew I was creative. I knew, like, that was my strongest things in elementary school. And I remember, you know, even my high school yearbook had hey, man, you draw all the time. And I guess I kind of did. Like, I just kind of drew all the time. Wait, I, what's that for the audience? What small town was this? Is it, I grew up in the Paw. Cool. Northern yeah. Manitoba. Northern Manitoba. So uh, I was in a band at the time, uh, touring around. What were they called? It was called Just In Time. Right? Whoa. Exactly. So just in case, just in time. Just in time. And the tagline, which I didn't know what a tagline was at the time, was everything from Waylon Jennings to Judas Priest. So That's we had all the bases. Over a hundred songs that we could play on a nightly basis. So you were a proper gigging cover band. Yeah. Huh? I mean, it was a weekend thing, uh, but my boss was the guitar player. Where I worked at the time, my boss was the guitar player, so I got all the time off I needed. It's cool. And this is from the, 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 the paper you mean? Sorry. Your boss was at the paper? Your boss no, my, school? my boss working for the town. So I was... Oh, uh, okay. I was working for the town. Laborer, whatever. Just fixing potholes or whatever? A Chainman Rodman is the oh, official measuring. title. Measuring. Cool. Yeah, so he was the town engineer. Oh, that's kind of The cool. town engineer. And a yeah. sick guitar player. Oh. Absolutely mind-blowing guitar player. Yeah. Hidden talent. Very good. And so then you're in this band. So I'm in the band. We're playing at a gig. Uh, it was a big gig. It was like a thousand people f plus. Um, and in between sets, I was just kind of meandering through the crowd, getting a drink or whatever. And uh, I met one of my brother's ex-girlfriends there. So of course, you know, oh, what are you doing now? It's a small town kind thing. of thing. It is a small town thing. Yeah. So what are you doing now? Oh, I'm I'm going to design school. I'm going to Red River. I'm taking I'm ta taking graphic design, which I think at the time it was called advertising art. Is this like mid '80s or something? Like when this was? is uh, late '80s. Late '80s. Yeah, late '80s. '88, '89, something like that. Hence the Judas Priest. Hence the Judas Priest. Motley Crue. Waylon Jennings is timeless, frankly, but. <laughs> um, 
uh, yeah. So I said, well, tell me about it. She said, you should totally take it. Cause she, I mean, small town, uh, she knew I drew all the time. So she said, you should totally take it. And she walked me in between sets, whatever, half an hour. She walked me through, this is how you apply. This is what you take. This is what uh, my experience has been. And, and like I said, growing up in a small town, your experience is at that time in the eighties. And I grew up in the seventies and eighties, your experience in a small town is severely limited, right? Like new music would come out and we wouldn't get it. Was there a record shop in La Paz? Two. Oh, there was actually two. Two. We had, when I grew up, we had two channels. Like, Oh well, yeah. Farmer vision. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Right. So, I like I said, I had no idea what graphic design was, not a stinking clue. And I had my four bands that I listened to, uh, you know, in high school, and that was it because that's what everybody else listened to, and that's what it was. Okay, we got to know. So Judas Priest, Judas Priest, Motley Crue, Poison. Uh, no, that was later. <laughs> Judas Priest, Motley Crue, Scorpions. Kiss. Scorpions, Kiss is too old. Okay, so here's the thing. God, tangents. So, so music is a huge part of my life. I, I, I am a drummer. So I don't know if you call that a musician, but I do play drums. Yeah, insert drummer joke here. Yeah, exactly. Um, God, there's another tangent there. I can totally go on, and I, and I will because it's my favorite thing. Okay, so I once heard an interview with uh, Paul McCartney. And, uh, you know, British interviewer says, is Ringo Starr the best drummer in the world? And I, it was Paul, I think it was John, said, Ringo, the best drummer in the world. I don't even know if he's the best drummer in the band. Right? Isn't that perfect? Mm -hmm. Yes. But he's, but he's a laugh. He's, a good, he, he's good to have around, Ringo. He's, he's solid, man. He, yep. He's in that pocket and that's where he is. Yeah, Which is kind of a, a cool, right? Which is kind of a cool thing. Yeah. Anyway, so music was a big part of my life uh, and still is today. And because I went on a tangent, I have no idea where the first tangent was. So, Well, it was how you started out. So you were this, right. this, uh, this so was she, your brother's ex-girlfriend? My brother's ex-girlfriend. Like she liked you. Uh, well, she was, honestly, she was closer in age to me than she was to my brother. So that's why we knew each other so well. So then you... Um, you know, graduated. High. Well, you were. Already I would. I had already graduated. I had already graduated. I went to university first, right out of high school. Didn't pan out. That what, was. What were you gonna be? Teacher. Yeah, oh, high school teacher or something like that. Honestly, what school I wanted kids. to be was a kindergarten teacher. I wanted to be a male kindergarten teacher. I love kids. Yeah, that's rare. Rarer. Yeah, than a seventeen years fairman. old. Yeah, that's rare. No, yeah. I've never even yeah. seen a male kindergarten. That teacher. was the thing. That's what I. That's what I wanted to do. Well, kudos for you. Yeah, I, and I. I still like. I. I love hanging out with kids. It's kind of my. I love it. Yeah, it's Ooh. great. Kids so are great. Then, yeah, that didn't pan out. So that didn't pan out. Came back to town. Worked construction. Uh, worked at uh, the recreation department. You could have been like head of the engineering department at the PAW right now. <laughs> I could be. <laughs> like, who knows what fate was gonna was gonna give you? Yeah, you have no idea. Uh, you know, laborer for the town, a, a news reporter. Uh, it was a bunch of. I was. Oh, was I sold. Name, what was the name of the PAW uh, paper? Like the. It was the Opasqua Times. The Opasqua. Opasqua is like the name of the region or something. Or? Like, 
Correct. Yeah. Okay. I was, okay. Yeah. Oh, I've never heard of that before. Opasqua Times. Mm-hmm. Cool. And there's, I'm assuming there was only one newspaper in the only bar. Only one. Or was there a fierce rivalry? No, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Nothing like that. No, nothing like that. Okay. It was, it was the paper in the paw, and I actually started, but the job I started at there, after the recreation commission job, was uh, selling advertising. Oh. And that was one of the that was one of the igniters too to being a graphic designer. Now this was back in the freaking day, where we would get clip art books, these massive books. They were, you know, probably two feet by like a foot. Like they were big books, and you turn the pages and you found the clip art that you wanted to put together this ad for, uh, you know, local town businesses that I was charged with selling advertising right. space so be to. like a little image of a cornucopia or like a little accordion or you some got other it. rando thing you got and it. then some numbers underneath so that you could kind of order it or like cut it out cut literally it, cut it out literally cut it out the layout people in the back would have a lay a sheet of layout paper they would uh, print out the text um and run it through the waxer and do actual physical paste up and, and paste it up and make these ads. Now I saw that and saw all of these uh, fantastic books of cheese ball clip art and knew that that was what I wanted to do, not sell the space. So, um, I wasn't very good at selling advertising because I really didn't want to do it. And I was a good talker. I I didn't know that then. <laughs> you didn't, you didn't, I didn't know, know yourself? I didn't know that. I was 19. No, I was like 18, don't. 19 years old. I had no idea. But one thing that I, uh, that I did know is I was a pretty good writer. So the editor came to me. Well, the publisher came to me first and said, this isn't working out. Because you're not selling anything. Because you're not selling anything. <laughs> but then the editor came in after him to my office and said... I know that the advertising thing isn't working out, but why don't you come down to the newsroom and write? So I, so I did, I took the chance and, uh, you know, I took my, what, 54% in grade 12 English and I started writing for the local paper. No one ever asks what, you know, what, what mark did you get on that final exam? No one ever asks that when you, you know, when you, yeah. it's such a big deal when you're in grade nine. But no one in the future, no one cares. No, for sure. I have a chemistry degree. Nobody asks me what my GPA is. (laughs) That's irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I know for a fact in grade 11, I got 54 in art. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Bad Bad at English, bad at art. Yeah. Look at you go. Well, I don't know. I don't. Okay. I'm not sure I was bad at either of those things. I was school. bad at showing up. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bad at writing that's, tests, bad yeah. at showing up. That's right, the one. Right. Yeah. No, that's true. School is a very particular animal. It's true. So then, you know, yada, yada, yada. Yep. Here you are, right? Like, that's it. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> here I am. I mean, I could spend hours. But yeah, so she told me I signed up for, I, I submitted my portfolio and... And I think by accident I got in because I don't think my portfolio was very good. And this was Red River Crecom before they called it Crecom? Red or? River Graphic Design Graf- before they called it Graphic, graphic design, design, which was advertising art. 1990 I started. Wow. Yeah. Bef- you know, just as 
computers are sort of dude, sort of there. Dude, in second year, we had one computer class, two computer classes, one on a PC and one on a toaster Mac. That's a, what, a toast like an Amiga. No, a, a Mac, the little toaster fish, the uh, okay. Mac two or whatever it was. Okay. Yeah. Apple two yep. E or Apple two E. That's called. the one. Right. Right. Black and white screen. Yeah. Yeah. So one, one class. Beige. What, just one. But, and what, what they taught you like word processing on it or something. I think, you know, it wasn't but, graphics heavy back then. It wasn't graphics heavy back then. I think it was basically just teaching you about a computer and how it works, <laughs> right? Like you could Mac draw and crap like that. That's right. right? It this wasn't is called a mouse. It wasn't anything. It was really zero. That, well, that's, that's what we were doing too in, in high school around the same time as yeah. they, they, they were yeah, just man. chucking computers at the kids because they figured it was going to be a big thing. Yeah, this thing, thing might day. catch on. Yeah. yeah it might be. <laughs> They weren't teaching us coding, though. <laughs> they still had typewriter, you know, typing classes and stuff. Which, right. You know, yeah. Nobody needs that. Which anymore. I wish I would have taken. I should have taken typing. That would have been a smart thing. Had you have known yeah. in high school that you would be typing every stupid day. Yeah. But we should have thumb. taken typing. Yeah. I got. I think I got. I'm the claw. Yeah. Three, yeah, I, got three the, yeah I got the claw. We have to pick it up. Yep. Pick it up. After you graduated. After I graduated. Uh, first job, I was working at... Glen Tinley Design. So they hired me out of school. So before school was finished, I went there for work experience and they kept me on. And that, was that normal back then? Do you know what your class? I don't think that was normal. None of my classmates did it. I would go to school from nine till three or two 30 or whatever. And then I would go to Tinley and I would work till eight. Then I would go home and do homework and assignments and then go back and do it again for that was probably the last three months of school, two, three months of school from January to grad. So um, really, really excellent way to cut your teeth, right? It was like soft landings all over the place, right? You make a mistake. It's a small studio. There's only four or five of us there. If you make a mistake, you got talented designers and art directors and, and experienced people walking you through it. And then if this doesn't pan out, just go back to school, right? It's just peanuts, right? And I would repeat that daily. I would repeat it every day. Sometimes it, we'd work on the weekends or whatever if it was busy. But, um, but they great, must have liked you. you know? Great way to cut your teeth. Yeah. Well, Fran was stupendous. I loved her. That was a great first employer. Um, yeah, that was good times. That was good times. And I learned a lot of great things. I learned about computers. They had computers there. So my classmates would be like, how do you know all this stuff? I'm like, I just did it at work yesterday, right? So I would know all the things that we were doing in the one computer class. So would, you were really a go-getter, it seems like, compared to your, the other class, uh, classmates. Or, I, just, or just what, lucky? I, I think a little bit of both. I was lucky and then I started late, right? Because it was 1992. I graduated high school in 1987. So I was five years removed from high school and a lot of them were right out of high right, school into design. Older. So I was a little more mature and... Yeah. I, you know, I moved from the paw to the big city and I had my own apartment and whatever. So, right. I wasn't living at home. So I had, you know, realities or whatever. Uh, Wait, so a total tangent. Did you have a, a car back then? I did. Okay. What was it? 1985 Mustang Cobra GT. Oh. <laughs> Damn. Right. What color? Silver. Silver. Uh, I'm not a car guy. But you bought a Cobra GT. I'm not a car guy. I'm not a car guy. I, 
What made you buy this car? You're my like, brother-in-law oh, is a mechanic. Like, oh. My brother-in-law, my brother-in-law is a mechanic and worked at a car dealership. He called me one day and said, "David, you have to come and look at a car." So I came and looked at the car, and he said, "You need to buy this car." <laughs> I said, "Steve, I don't know how to drive a standard." He said, "You'll learn." So he took me for a drive. Oh he took me for a drive out of town, south South Highway, Highway Number Ten. Took me out about five kilometers. Turned around on the highway. My brother-in-law was a man of very few words. He got out of the car, walked around to the passenger side, told me to get into the driver's seat. I got walked around, got into the driver's seat. And I was looking at him, and I said, Steve, I don't know what to do. He said, drive it. <laughs> so you just clutch gear. Figured uh... it out. That was, that was Steve's lesson was drive it, which I should have known because years earlier when I was getting my license, he taught me how to parallel park and I pulled up to the poles, you know, they had the practice poles, small town, pulled up to the practice poles and he said, not here, find a car. So (laughs) I drove downtown, found a car, pulled up like you're supposed to in front of the, you know, beside the car in front of you. And I looked at him and he said, park it. Yeah, try and do it. So is he Yoda? (laughs) <laughs> kind of, just yeah. do it yeah <laughs> park you must oh man well that's cool so you, well that that's a so, yeah, monster tin- engine in that thing wow that's 302 cool. high output yeah well not a, a car cobra guy. yeah a car, not, a car. not a car guy not you a car know guy. everything about cars not a car i guy. do not <laughs> so i'm working at tinley i i think i went back home i think i worked for them until october or so and then I, I believe I went back home for a little while. Um, and then when I came back, uh, I applied for various jobs. Like you know, in the one, graphic design in, area. In the graphic design area and all of these twists of fate. And you're just so like, man, I'm glad I didn't get that job. Man, I'm glad mm. I didn't get that job. Because it led me to my first full-time real job um, out of school was at Fusion. So, okay, fill us in about how cool Fusion is then. Okay, so when I started, this is 1992. When I started at Fusion, they were in a little office space in Elmwood. There was a uh, um, brazier, yeah. Brazier. You're brazier. Thank, uh, thank you, Evan Coos. So there was the three partners and me. Um, Eight years later, by the time I left Fusion, March of 2000, there was 26, I want to say, 26 people. So I had the wonderful benefit of seeing that company grow from small studio and watch them add people and add clients and add responsibility and grow it into this massive I believe it was 23 to 26 people. So they properly big. knew what they were doing. They were really it was successful. Big. It was big, yeah. Who were the three original partners? Terry Kazina, Dave Wilkie, Derek Copeland. That was cool. the three partners. So it was, I'm pretty sure I tricked them on my interview um, because I, I wore my glasses. I remember specifically, I'm going to wear my glasses so that I look smarter than I actually am. Oldest and I the believe they fell for it. Um, I had long hair, right? I had the, the best mullet in existence. 
Were you also wearing a, a, a Judas Priest shirt at the interview? <laughs> I believe. Okay. You know, like the black Dude, in the middle and had the white sleeves. Yeah. Right? No, I did not wear that. I believe. <laughs> I believe. I was wearing. This is a sign of the times. And if either of you there were there, you will know that a rayon shirt and rayon pants were what I wore to my first interview at Fusion. Rayon. That sounds like a tracksuit. Uh, no, it was flouncy. I believe it had flouncy. Flouncy. I, it was very light, right? Rayon was very light. It had flowers on the shirt. I believe I had black pleated balloon MC Hammer pants, like a give or take. Wow, and yeah. a mullet. And a mullet. The no, the, the best, best mullet. mullet in existence. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Just really, really party at the back and really business up front. Like. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, dude. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're going to need to source a photo. I have uh, those. Uh, from, the, from the day. Yeah, I have yeah? those. Yeah. With, you, with you with your mullet posing with your yep. Mustang. <laughs> like on the hood, wearing yep. white jeans. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Did I wear Yeah, that's probably pretty close. Yeah. Pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. Acid wash was also part of it. Yep, also. There's 26 um, people when I left. I was there for eight years. Yeah. And then what did you magically do after eight years? You said, I'm okay. going to found my own cool studio. That's exactly what happened. So, um, you know, there was a massive design department at Fusion. And as graphic designers are wont to do, we would daydream and talk about, hey, if we had our own studio, we would do this. And hey, if we had our own studio, we would do that. Right? The plan was hatched and all the ways we could do it better. And then... Um, my wife and I were trying to have kids at the time and uh, I blew everyone's mind and came in like shortly after we had the hatching the plan idea and I came in with my resignation letter and and March of 2000, I resigned from, from Fusion and every staff member was blown away and um, the partners were blown away. I, I walked in with a... Um, my resignation letter because they just thought what are you this is the best gig in the world what are you this walking away from the best gig in the world part? and and right there was no discontent it was a fantastic place to work it was just something i felt that i needed to do so i came into uh my partner's office with my resignation letter and i said uh we gotta have a talk just and like he's like phil, ha, phil you're collins so quitting yeah. genesis yeah he's <laughs> like going to my own <laughs> he's like oh yeah you're funny you're funny so I gave him my letter and I like I I literally saw his face drop and he's like it can't be like can't do this they were me. very upset and oh. and I was upset it was it was a fantastic place to work um, but like I said it's just to... something I needed to do and I'll tell you why as fusion grew when we started it was like I said the three partners and myself. Um, they were very good at involving me early, coming to client meetings, showing me what client meetings were all about, um, making presentations to clients, talking to clients on the phone. That's what you, that's the experience you get when you're at a small studio. As we grew, we added account people and partners were doing more of that work and account people were doing more of that work. So as much as account people tried, and I, I genuinely believe that they, that they tried, you would design something, right? You put your heart and your guts into something to design it. You hand your baby off to the account rep who would then go and present it and they would come back. Like I said, they were genuinely, I think, doing their best. They loved it. The client thought it was amazing, but you need to change this and this and that. 
And I realized once I developed relationships with those account people, I realized that what I missed was seeing those reactions and feeling those reactions myself because for me, that was fuel. So that's one of the biggest reasons I left Fusion so that I could get that fuel back. Right. Be, be a little bit more on the ground. Right. Face-to-face. Face-to-face with clients. Yeah. Yeah. That's yep. something. I think, I think I've always been, I've worked with some amazingly talented designers, amazingly talented. Um, uh, my partners at Guppy definitely come to mind. Um, and I was never, I don't think I was ever as talented as they were, but I was really good at the other stuff. I was really good at presenting stuff. I was really good at the things that are involved in a design career that aren't design. So tell us about Guppy then. Where did this, so put your resignation we started, on the I put table my resignation then, on the, uh... I had, I had um, freelance clients while I was working at Fusion. I had freelance clients. So I just took the leap. Um, my workmates were like, I can't believe you did that. That's crazy. So I just did it. Uh, like I said, we had a kid coming on the way too. I, looking back at it now, I'm sure my wife thought I was absolutely nuts. Um, but I was just working out of the sunroom in our in our house in River Heights. And uh, at Fusion, this is, this is the thing that got us going at Guppy. So the plan was Dave's going to leave and then maybe a year later, then someone else will come and join. Okay. So I left Fusion in March, April, May. By June, one of the biggest Fusion clients called me and said, we want to follow you. Is it normally, when you're working for a big house, do graphic designers have any sort of exclusivity contract? Is it okay to have people uh, on the side? Like you said, that you had freelance stuff on I the did. side <laughs> while being, I mean, that's right. is this weird uh, territory? Uh, uh, yeah, a little this, bit, but it's fun to tell. Is this sensitive territory? It's fun to there? tell. It's okay. fun to tell because they're just stories at this point. It was 25, 30 years ago, right? So yeah. I, I was doing freelance and I'm a very responsible person. So I was I would make sure that as much freelance as I had, I was still giving it my all but on my, the, on my the day big, job. the bigger corporation, they don't frown upon Okay, so that. we had a conversation at one point. One of the partners and I had a conversation, and, and he said, you know, I know you're doing a lot of freelance, and what I want to do is encourage you to bring those clients to, to us, and we'll give you a finder's fee or whatever it was. So... You know, I think the conversation went something like this. Look, I can work on freelance stuff and make, keeping in mind the era, I can make 60 bucks an hour or I can bring it here and make 12 bucks an hour. Which one do you think I'm going to pick? And he said, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. So I think maybe they knew that you know, maybe the writing was on the wall then because... Well, but, but, but I'm just sort of trying to get a sense of um, sort of how the business actually would, you know, work normally is that there's sort of, there's not like a contract saying, you can't do this. It's like, a, it's a gentleman's agreement kind of between I graphic do. designers and their bosses on, I think on it probably firms. I think it probably depends firm to firm, right? Okay. I, yeah, I don't know that, uh, I, I certainly didn't sign an NDA, I don't think. I right. don't remember doing that. 
Um, but I think it was the way it shook out. It was pretty gentlemanly. I didn't chase right. anybody after we left, but. But then um, this big client came to you after you were well, independent. So, uh, well, yeah. And think <clears throat> about it though. Like I said, at that time, at that time or before that, before I left, when I had that contact with clients regularly, because they gave that to me and I'm so thankful for them for doing that. I developed relationships with these clients because I saw them day to day when they had changes to the stuff that I designed. They didn't call an account rep who fed that fed the information. They called me. I was a, you know, intermediate junior, whatever graphic designer who these three partners trusted enough to have conversations with clients. So the other little twist in the story is that the person that was the director of marketing at this place used to work at Fusion. So then there was already even a deeper relationship there. So that's, that was really what, what allowed Guppy to, to take off. Cool, cool. Um, so the original plan was a year, and then someone will join. And it was literally three months later. And we said, okay, we got to do it. So, yeah. yeah. So then Craig left. Okay. Craig left uh, three months later. But he had already left Fusion and went back to Dua. And then he left Dua to join me September, September 2000. Craig. Medwaduck. Medwaduck. Yep. Yeah. So, so for the first, so for the year after that, it was Craig and I. Um, and the other great thing we had besides the design chemistry between Craig and I, um, this yin and yang, whatever that we've always had is my contacts were primarily in the business community because of fusion. Craig's contacts were primarily in the arts community. So when we smushed everything together, we had all these great contacts and had built up reputations in two different areas and smooshing them together just made it synergistic. It was perfect. And now it's time for a nerdy interlude. Before computers, graphic designers used actual tools like razor blades, T-squares, and rubber cement thinned with Bestine, which is a dangerous solvent, to cut and paste actual bits of paper to other actual bits of paper to be shot by cameras with real film in them, which would then get printed in magazines and books, which were sold in things called stores, where people received goods by trading actual bits of paper and metal called money, which usually had a king or queen or other famous person. Bestie contained heptane and was very flammable, so when you were chain-smoking cigarettes at your desk trying to meet a deadline at 3 a.m. surrounded by razor blades and leaking markers, you had to be careful not to explode. In modern times, designers just get eye strain from staring at the same screen all day and a bit of a clicky wrist. Were you, were you still running out of your sunroom or at the time? or <laughs> where were you? So the conversation was, you work out of your apartment, Craig, and I'll work out of my sunroom. And w- just because we don't want overhead and whatever. So I think that worked for, because it, it, it predates FaceTime and whatever else. Um, so I think that lasted about a month. And by October... I believe October we were in our first studio on Market Avenue, yeah. On Market Avenue. 
Yeah. And then eventually you moved down to Graham or something like that? We moved to, um, to Vaughn. Vaughn, Graham. sorry. Yeah, Graham, 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 Graham and Vaughn. Mall. Corner, yeah. yeah. Corner, yeah, Graham, Graham and Vaughn. Yeah. That's right. That's Give or take. Yeah. That. yeah, there was like t-shirts being sold out That was there. the stuff, man. That was the stuff. It was pretty cool. Yeah, it was a good spot. That's awesome. Yep. So could you talk about any uh, like tough client experiences, interesting failures with, with Guppy or anything like that? Um, tough client things are just tough client things. They, they, they really are. Like, um, I believe and always have believed that clients are part of the team. And I think that's, that was something that had a great deal to do with any success that we had at Guppy. We always considered the clients as part of a team. So if they made a mistake or if they were being difficult, we took that as our failure too. I think that was a, that was a good thing. And then any specific failures, I don't believe, you know, I've made mistakes and, and whatever design wise, you know, costs the company money that where you had to reprint something or something. So yeah, I guess those are failures, but you take those mistakes and you learn from them and then you don't do them again. But to me, the biggest failures are relationship based. When we, when partners couldn't agree or when you just had to let a client go, like I, I still burns me to this day where I just don't, I, I'm a pleaser. So I always wanted it to work. You know what I mean? I was always the voice of reason that said, let's not fire them just now. Let's change their team. Let's, you know, let's figure out a way. And those to me are the biggest failures, right? And, and honestly, one of the biggest failures in my career is not being able to make Guppy work because eventually I had to leave Guppy in 2009. So what wasn't working? I believe the standard line is it was just partners that shouldn't be partners anymore. Did it and run I, its course? I, I believe. I believe that's what it was. They're still going, and, and that's great. And, and Craig's gone to Saskatoon, and, and he and I talk every single day. Um, but I think that's what it was. I think it was just partners who shouldn't be partners anymore. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. So, who's, so Craig's in Saskatoon. Craig's and... in Saskatoon, and Bill and Nicole still run Guppy to this day. So, yeah. Well, time moves on. It sure does. And, and you know what? It was advantageous at the time because um, it was 2009. My wife was traveling a lot with work. Our kids were six and three. So it was kind of good. She would, she would, let's see, we would take her to the airport Sunday night, and then she would come back Thursday night, and then she would a lot of times leave again the following Sunday. So it was me and me and my two boys. We so we, you were just being, being a dad or were you yeah. doing a little bit? No, of, uh, no, uh, absolutely. Working on the side. It was or? never, it was never a decision for me to stop doing something, to stop working. It wasn't a reality for us. Um, so when I left Guppy, we did have um, some NDAs in place, but um, it Thankfully, uh, from them, they was pretty lenient. So I decided to, you know, I thought of tons of other things. Like, oh, I'd love to do this and I'd love to do that. And wouldn't it be cool? This is start up the band again. <laughs> uh, it, well, I was back in a band by that time. Um, but yeah, so I, I did, I had, I had some decisions to make. I was, you know, turning 40 and, and I decided that the calling for design was still pretty strong. So I, 
I, back to the sunroom. <laughs> back to the sunroom. Actually, it's all the bedrooms. I've I've used all of my kids' bedrooms as I as I've grown. The spare bedroom was the smallest, so I occupied that first. Then a couple years ago, it was massively busy, and I had to bring people in. And my son's bedroom was bigger, so I kicked him out and used his office and or his his bedroom and had multiple people <laughs> working in his bedroom in my house. And then, you know, it slowed down a little bit. So then I, I gave that bedroom to another kid and, and took the medium size. So I'm in the medium size right. bedroom now. It's That's low overhead. Low overhead. Home. Low overhead is for sure. That's the way to yeah. do it for sure. Low overhead monetarily, but high overhead in time when you're working in the same space yeah. that your kids are in. Emotional overhead. It takes some time, man. I tell you what, like I'm pretty good. They're you know, they're older now. And certainly within the last few years, I you know, put on the noise canceling headphones or whatever, but you know, they got their f- teenage friends over and there's banging and crashing downstairs. I'm like, I gotta go look. I can't stay here. I gotta go look and see what they've done. <laughs> what the hell are they doing now? <laughs> <laughs> All the teenage experiments. What if we did this? <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of those too. Uh, do you have any advice for uh, a 20 year old Yep. right now? What would you say to them? Yeah, if- man. This is the thing. If you're a 20-year-old something, whatever, and you're, you've signed up for design, I believe you know what you're getting into. I believe that you will have some kind of talent in the creative field if you're choosing to sign up for that thing anyway. So my advice for those people is get good at the shit that you hate, especially if you want a longer career if you want a freelance career, if, you're, if you have aspirations to own your own studio, be good at the stuff that you're not good at. Because anybody can be good at the things they're passionate about. Because you have passion for it. If you're not good at accounting, get good at it. If you're not good at speaking in front of people, get good at it. Right? There's so many things that are involved in a graphic design career that are outside of graphic design that you need to be good at them. I spoke with uh, Red River class about a month and a half ago, just before they, f- they wrapped up. And we talked about these very things. And I said, what's going to get you a job? That's what they wanted to know. What is going to get me a job in graphic design? And I said, it was a small class. There was like 13 people, 15 people or whatever it was. And I said, everybody in here has talent. That's why they're here. That's why you've made it to third year. So these people, whether you like it or not, yes, they're your friends, but they're your competition right now. So what's your special skill? What's your skill outside of design that is going to, because your design is going to get you in the door, but what's your special skill that's going to make you unique and make you irreplaceable? Make yourself irreplaceable. My special skills in 1992 was I could fix a computer better than the guys that were 15 years older than me that were partners. So I could install software, I could fix bugs, and I could write. Because as I mentioned, I was a reporter before, so I could write. And writing has been my special skill. Writing to me has been the thing in my design career that has made me special. So you need a special skill, but also you have to be like a Swiss Army knife. You have to be able to do everything. I, I believe, and it's, it's, it's getting more so that way now, I believe. Like, 
there wasn't that many extra skills that you needed to have in 1992. Websites didn't exist really, right? Like there wasn't that thing. There wasn't. Yeah. The, now like, people are specializing in Instagram filters or something. <laughs> I don't know what. Right? Yeah. So, so if if a 20 year old, if a beginning designer has a special skill, tell them about it, exploit it, and use it, and get good at the shit that you suck at. Sound advice. Thanks. What about, uh, what influences can you, do you have any uh, graphic design heroes from uh, history that you, like okay. the name drop or books or something like that? <laughs> okay, so I believe that the worst way to find an influence is to go out and look for it. Um, It'll just find you. And, and I think, uh, I believe, um, I think that I'm... From, the, from my experience in working with plenty of people, I'm, I don't believe I'm a typical designer. I'm not, like, I'm not, I don't know the design books. I don't keep track of, you know, vintage design books. I couldn't tell you who's the, you know, the design gods from whatever era. And But I, I just, I w I've always been a really good listener. And I've always, sometimes to my detriment, been able to see the other side of the fence all the time. So I'm able to really get inside of what target markets need to see and want to see to react to get results. So I don't think I'm a designer's designer um, as far as influences that way. There have been people that I've worked with that I, I know now I, I'm a learner by watching. And I remember sitting beside some of the, you know, designers at Fusion and going, that's how it's done exactly and being influenced by that and certainly for eight years working beside craig craig was an in inspiration every single day watch how he does it. he his desk was right in front of mine and i just kind of <laughs> lean over and watch <laughs> well, how he, he lean over and watch how he did it and watch that creative process because i don't i think there's some designers i'm sure you guys would agree there's some designers that are artists like you can tell this person is an artist and they're just doing design because that's practical, but I'm practical going in. So I don't, I'm not an artist. I'm a designer. I think when I was a kid, like I said, I drew all the time, but what I would do is super into sports. So I would draw the shape of goalie masks. This is in the seventies. I would draw a grid of goalie masks on an eight and a half, 11 sheet. I would give it to my mom to take to her office to photocopy. She would photocopy it, and I would design goalie masks over and over and over and over. Cool. Just like I, pencil crayon in various markers, designs and colors. pencil crayons, yep. Different design, graphic designs and shapes. So you started had, with goalie masks. I had no idea what graphic design was, but the things that I drew were mostly graphic. Like, that's what I've always been drawn to. I believe that... Like I said, lots of designers are artists and pulled into design. I believe I was born a designer. That's so cool. Like as far as that goes, there's tons of other, you know, um, I'm a huge daydreamer. So I have fantasized about pretty much every um, occupation known to man and how I would fit in that. If you were realm. born 10 years later, you would have been designing like the bottoms of skateboards or something. <laughs> That's it. Right? You're Infinite exactly right. Iterations of skateboard designs. You're, you're exactly right. Yeah, totally. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Give us some uh, bands you're listening to right now. Bands I'm listening to right now. Okay, so this is fun. 
because um, the band that I'm in currently in the city is a classic rock band. So, um, and they're called Highway 59. I didn't name it. I it's a real Manitoba reference. I was born there. into it. I was born into it. Yeah. Uh, so classic rock, and I love that stuff. Right. I love that's that's my that's my DC. That's my hot zone right there. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, for sure. Um, and my family bugs me that the only new music that I listen to is new music that sounds like old music. So. You know, right now I'm listening to the heaviest rotation right now is a country rock band called Blackberry Smoke. Amazing. Um, I am listening to Rival Sons a lot, and I am listening to Greta Van Fleet music that sounds old. Right. Yeah, man. And then old music. Like, I kind of been going on this tangent of trying to find old classic rock that isn't your typical, you know, rock you like a hurricane, like outside of the norm classic rock. Right. Uh, bands like, you know, um, Cactus and like stuff that you haven't heard of that have players in them that you have heard of. Right. Um, have, you, have you heard of Iron Butterfly's first album before Inagata De Vida? I don't think so. Check it out. It's I'll called have to. Heavy. Oh, I, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's it's uh, anyway. I'll do it. <laughs> I found it like for a buck at a at a you know at a garage sale one time. It was so scratched, but I put it on. It was like this album is right? the best album no one's ever heard of. This is it's awesome. Amazing. Iron Butterfly. Yeah, it's my favorite thing. And I remember being a kid, and and eventually, like I said, your your resources are pretty limited in a small town. But um, I would go to the one of the two record stores in town and I go, you got to get this. Well, I've never heard of it. I'm like, okay, but you got to <laughs> yeah, bring it in. Like, it's awesome. so I would pay 26 bucks just to get it in, to, to get it in. Like I'd pay extra fees just to get this stuff in. Right. And oh, man. You uh, gotta name a couple, you got to name a couple. jellyfish. Like, yeah, okay. right. Jellyfish. I've never heard of jellyfish. That's cool. You've never heard of jellyfish. Well, I'll check out. Okay. Jellyfish. You got to check out jellyfish. Okay. So right. I went to jeans electronics and said, you got to get this jellyfish in. Well, I've never heard of them. I'm like, well, find it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, again, I'm, I'm apologizing. It was era-based, but I had the first White Lion cassette tape probably a year and a half before everybody else. White Lion. Well, I haven't heard of that. <laughs> you haven't heard of White Lion? I know. I've heard. You I have, haven't, heard, but I haven't it, heard of them in a while. And again. This also brings to mind White Snake and the other band Great White. Yes. Yes. Many Whites. <laughs> so many, many Whites. whites. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was era-based. But again, like... You were ahead in, of the if, curve. If you grew up in Winnipeg, you'd just go to wherever, Sam the Record yeah, Man, Sam, grab yeah. this stuff, right? Like, in the paw, it just wasn't possible. Wow, you were so cutting edge for the paw. I had uh, the aforementioned mullet, mm-hmm. uh, wore pink shirts, and had my ears pierced in a small town in the 80s in Nepal. I wasn't. Wow. Yeah. They must have thought that you were <laughs> a pretty interesting fellow. Interesting. But, oh, but right? And again, same thing. Like, I, I, can talk to, I can talk to anybody. 
so you know i had the sportos were friends and the druggies were friends and uh whatever like they are you yeah well that's a very that is a very good skill because people usually silo themselves off sure and then like the metalheads don't talk to the sure to to the job i believe i mean some of these people that you if you talk to them today would go no you weren't but i think i was (laughs) so that's good that's that's where memories live that's fine i'm fine yeah 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 yeah. that's the way the, the past was for sure Okay, one last thing. Uh, where do you think uh, the next 10 or 20 years is going to lead with uh, the graphic design world? What do you think? You know, I have thought about this recently because it's becoming all of our, uh, us older guys, it's becoming part of our reality. If you want to stay relevant and you want to stay current and you want to keep getting clients, you have, you're having to change somewhat or add things that maybe you're not comfortable with. And I, I feel like these students now coming out have so many special things that that they're they've been taught and that that they've learned and and they just bring this big massive toolkit when they're when they're i mean they don't have the design experience and they don't have the design chops but man when they get it it's lights out man like well, it's the visual be literacy s- is so much higher now. Amazing access to all this stuff. I had encyclopedias. Like, I had no idea. But they have access to all this thing. What I hope for the next 10 to 20 years for, for graphic design and graphic designers, what I hope is that the craft isn't lost. Like, it feels like to me, like I mentioned, I, I, I listen to classic rock primarily. And it feels like that's a it's a craft. Like they put those songs together. They played those instruments. They wrote those songs. They noodled back and forth and they jammed and they could sing and they could all play. Right. It feels like we're on the precipice of graphic design being like pop music. Where it's, it's assembled. Just assembled, put together, move on, get to the next one. And, and, you know, something like an Instagram post or whatever, it's there for seconds and it's gone. It, it feels like it, and I, and I just hope, and I, I believe that that's our responsibility. The older guys, the creative directors, the art directors, the, the, the guys that have some tooth in this industry, it's our opportunity and our responsibility to show those younger people that it is a craft and the details are important and typography is important and all of these things. And like I mentioned, the things outside of design skills those things are all important and they need to be paid attention to. And it takes time and it takes effort and it, it, it isn't just as quick as everyone wants it to be, right? Respect. That's it, man. Yeah, there's, well, there's something to be said for just sitting down with uh, paper, scissors, tape. Yeah. Getting down to it. That's it. Whereas people are like writing songs on their iPhones now. Sure. It's cool, but everybody's <laughs> process is, Everybody's <laughs> process is different. When when uh, when we were art directing at Guppy, we totally respected our employees, and I think that's one thing, like we were talking about before, was that's why people wanted to work at Guppy because we gave them license, we allowed them to be creative, and we were their Sherpas, we were their guides, those employees, and they were allowed to make mistakes and they were allowed to be creative. As you know, my first two two years at Fusion, I prepped files like that's what I did. Um, I, I learned, I learned some pretty great things, um, taking great designers work, my bosses and preparing them for print. 
I learned, you know, how to choke and spread and and all of those technical things. Choke and spread? Wait, you got to inform no, us. No, come on. It's trapping. Just move on. It's trapping. All right. Evan, put this in the Look show Look it notes. up. Evan's going to put this in the show notes. Did help, the, help. Note to side. Yeah, so I would learn all those great things on how to prepare, properly pre- prepare a print file. And then I would get these masterful designs from Terry and Derek and go and see them firsthand and how they how they were built and how they were constructed and 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 have to prepare them for print but i got to see like it was i was a funnel like all these great designs coming through and i got to look and just being able to see the process from those sounds a little bit kind of like a wax on wax off type of training it it, you know what i'm saying i do i do and it's like i think anything becomes like that when you look back at it right like terry was absolutely the best art director for me but at the time make me crazy like it would be minutes before a deadline minutes is probably not fair hours before a deadline and you would design something and he was the art director and he would look at it and go that's really good i like what you're doing here i like this part and i like this part now do another one that's entirely different and you'd go but we got to prep it for print we got to get it to the presentation we got to whatever and you go just do it so then you do it and and then you'd be, you know, angry clicks <laughs> on the mouse. Click, click. Yeah, I'll give you another one. But then you do that other one. And then that other one leads to another one. And then parts from the three enhance the one in the first right. place that he knew was a winner going in. But it solidified it in your brain to go, yeah, that's the one. I've been able to take these two parts from these other ones that I've tried to enhance that design. Or at the very least, just look at that final design and go, now I know it's the one because I've done two others right. that were successful, but not as successful as that one. Yeah, it's the, the hard I still do it to one. this day. Like he taught me that lesson and I remember cursing him out for it. And I still do it to this day. Like I still do multiple pulls just to make sure. Yeah. But that's one, that's one of the tips too, right? Know when you're done. Right. Because know, know when you're not done and know when you're done. <laughs> no one, right? There's a, it's a balance. Like, right. We're not artists. We're graphic designers. So there's some, there needs to be some practicality to it. You need to go, this is the budgeted allotted, allotted amount of time for this job. This is how much noodling I get. Noodle, noodle, noodle. Yeah, Make deliver. it the best you can go yeah. and deliver. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cool. Any final words? Um, we talked about a lot. Yes, we t- we have talked about a lot, but I do have final words. I have uh, one of my boys is getting ready to graduate high school right now, so he's trying to figure out what he wants to do. And it's great that it's at it's top of mind for me right now. And it's just do something you love, man. I have had the wonderful benefit of having a thirty-year design career doing something that I love. It's wonderful, and it's the best way to have a career. That's right. I, I think I've, I said, said this quote on previous podcasts, but a um, wise man said, if you love what you do, never work a day in your life. That's the one. Cool. Thank you very much. My pleasure. The music for Oots has been supplied by 
Full Bleed. The song, Halftone, comes from their upcoming album, Jokes for Drummers. Well, that's it for today, kids. I hope we all learned something. <laughs>